Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Falcoholic Podcast, Falcons versus Panthers. Wow. Uh, Week 8 game preview. Uh, As you can tell, we haven't played the Panthers yet. I apparently haven't uh, remembered how to say Panthers uh, this year, but uh, I'm joined by someone who definitely knows how to say Panthers and knows a lot about the Carolina Panthers. He is Desmond Johnson at Des underscore 3505 on Twitter, host of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast and a radio show, The Rundown with Desmond uh, Desmond Johnson, which is uh, Desmond, get tell the people uh, where they can uh, find your radio show as well. Yeah, so uh, the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast is on the the Believe Podcast Network. Um, that is 10 a.m. to 12 noon Saturday mornings uh, across the Triad, Greensboro, Winston Salem, High Point Market, and on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. You can stream it no matter where you are. Uh, that that's my well, excuse me, I did that in reverse. The Rundown with Desmond <laughs> Johnson is on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, here in the triad, you can get that at tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. The Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast is on every major podcast platform uh, through the Believe Podcast Network, Spotify, Google, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all the luminary, all the big ones there. So just search Believe in Carolina Panthers and you'll be able to find us. All right. Excellent stuff. A uh, lot to get to with the Panthers. Uh, definitely things moving in a more positive direction after last week. Carolina took down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in dominating fashion, 21-3. to uh, Very surprising outcome, obviously, and I think the biggest upset of the season uh, so far. I believe Carolina was, what, 13.5-point underdogs on yeah. Sunday? So, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is even crazier. I mean, that, that type of line, I think, is really disrespectful i mean the panthers were playing well but it's not like they were getting blown out every week or anything like that so um pj walker goes in uh the offense looks functional looks maybe even good uh it does his stat line reminds me a little bit of like the falcons passing game where not a lot of yardage but efficient some scores uh we'll start with that pj walker has been named the starter for this week i guess baker mayfield may have been available They've been sort of, I guess, tight-lipped about that. But either way, they're they're going with P.J. Walker. What do you think about that transition, and uh, what do you think about P.J. Walker? Uh, I'm cool with it, as long as, he, as long as they give him the game plan they've been giving him. I think the main issue was that offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo was kind of, uh, in the beginning of the season, really, I guess really kind of rolling Baker Mayfield out there without training wheels and just kind of open up the whole playbook. Dude had learned the plays in like two months or whatever just never fit they were running rpo with baker mayfield like it just just things that were comical and uh with pj instead of having this huge playbook and then having to shrink it down they started off with it shrunken down and now they're starting to add things to it and there's a huge difference there um i'll be the first to admit and i've admitted it on the believe uh, podcast earlier in the year i was clowning pj walker it was like what are you doing here (laughs) like the only reason why you're here is because of your relationship with matt rule 
him being your college coach. He was the fourth string quarterback. Right. He would. He, I think if Corral hadn't been injured, he probably would have got cut. Right. He was days from being cut. It was right yeah. after. Uh, I think it was the the, the end of the third preseason game. If, it, yeah. if Corral hadn't hurt his foot, actually, I think it was week two of the preseason. Yeah. Corral yeah. got hurt, and then Darnold got hurt in week three. Uh, and just through uh, just being here rose from being the fourth string quarterback to the backup quarterback. Then, ba- then Baker tears a ligament in his ankle and all of a sudden PJ Walker's the starter. And like I said, he would have been cut because they weren't going to keep four quarterbacks and they weren't yeah. going to drop Corral who they just traded up in the third round of draft. They weren't going to drop Sam and they weren't going to drop Baker who they just brought in. So that left PJ Walker out there and now he's the starter. So, you know, I've apologized to, to PJ publicly <laughs> for climbing him earlier in the year. Um, I do think that it's an opportunity for the Panthers to expand the playbook back out again this week. Uh, we didn't see any RPO last week, and I think that they might add that wrinkle to the offense now that PJ's getting a little bit more comfortable taking all the first-string snaps in practice. He knows he's going to be the starter. Um, but the, the game plan was primarily rely on the run game, uh, let that open up play action, and uh, just kind of go from there. Don't make mistakes and, you know, trust your receivers. He was throwing some ropes on Sunday that I didn't expect him to throw. Uh, there was a toe tap by DJ Moore in the back of the end zone for our first score. He hit Tommy Trimble in the corner of the end zone in a spot where nobody but Tommy could get to it. So I feel pretty confident with PJ going forward. Uh, and the schedule is not that daunting when we look yeah. at it. You know, it's like I think at the beginning of the year we were looking at it like, oh, these are going to be the hot spots. Yeah. But that's not the case in the NFL. I don't know why we do it to ourselves every year. We look at like it was the same thing with the Falcons. Like for preseason, it was like, oh, they have the hardest oh, schedule. Now it's yeah. like, oh, they have the easiest schedule. Yeah, it's like, wow. yeah. Well, I think the problem is that we use last year's teams to kind mm-hmm. of do that, which yeah. makes zero sense. It's like none of these teams are the same. So why are we saying it's going to be a hard matchup to play uh, the Saints or whatever? And they're basing it off of what the Saints did last year with last year's roster, last year's coach. Like it's like it's not even the same team, but we're basing strength of schedule off of that. So that's always bothered me. Um, but back to your original question with PJ, we feel pretty good about PJ because PJ won't have to do it alone. Uh, there's yeah. other parts of the team that will be looked at to step up more so than PJ to to come away with a road victory. Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line had been playing better than expected, and you would have thought that the receivers would have been bigger factors because DJ Moore certainly no slouch, you know, there, the talent was there, but very anemic passing game up until last week, basically one of the worst in, in the league statistically. Um, so some life here with PJ Walker, uh, we'll see if that was just one good game or, or if that's something that can be sustained, but you have to like, uh, that version of the offense better than I get. I think that was only their third highest scoring outing, uh, so far, but yeah. I think it was the highest yardage output. Uh, it didn't surprise me. Um, the stench of Matt Rule is still, you know, you can spray aerosol cans and get all that <laughs> and get them out the room, but there's still kind of linger in there. Um, I always thought it was funny. Uh, my friends that aren't Panthers fans throughout the year would be like, well, you know, you guys can't score because you don't have talent. There's not enough talent on this team, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, I've been covering this team for, for three years in depth. Skylar Callahan's one of my co-hosts. He's a Sports Illustrated beat writer for the Panthers. So he's in the building like three, four times a week. And we're both just like, the talent's not the problem. They've been drafting very well the past three years, uh, especially the last two with Scott Fitter at GM. The talent's not the issue. It was the coach and the schemes and what they were asking them to do each week. And once that went away, it's almost like a weight has been lifted from off of Panthers Nation in terms of just knowing what to expect going into Sunday. If I know what my team is going to run on Sunday, like almost to the, to the play, 
then I'm pretty sure the defensive coordinator on the other side knows what we're going to do and has a game plan to stop it. And literally, we would watch the same script every game. Carolina would play a team tight, no matter how good that other team was. Uh, somewhere in the third, fourth quarter, Carolina gets a lead. And then in the fourth quarter, that other team has like an eight, nine-minute offensive drive that just leaves our defense out there for like the whole quarter. They take a lead. Carolina runs out of time. They lose by four. They lose by three. They, they lose by possession. And that was the script every week for two years under Matt Rule. They just never could figure out a way to get over it. And it turns out it was because Matt Rule was the hump. Like, he was the hump. <laughs> you move yeah. him out the way, and then, now things can go a little bit smoother. And this Panthers team's playing loose, man. I would say that they are they are a dangerous squad because they have nothing to lose. And right now, they're playing basically for jobs. They're playing for, they're playing for Coach Wilkes is really what they're doing like they have rallied around head coach interim head coach steve wilkes uh they want him to get the permanent job and i want him to get it too he deserves it he he understands panther culture which matt rule did not and that was very evident um wilkes just real quick w- one of the things he did last week before they played the bucks he sat the whole team down and he pulled he rolled a clip of multiple clips of nfc south teams playing against the panthers just to kind of show how important the division games were. Matt Rule wouldn't have done anything like that. Like the players perk up for something like that. Cause that's like, you understand Panther culture. Like you understand what it's about in this building at BOA. It's not about Matt Rule. It's not about what I want to do. It's about us. Like it's us versus everybody. And they've bought in. So like this is a very young, hungry, dangerous unit because they have nothing to lose. No one's expecting them to do anything at this point. Half the talking heads on TV keep saying that they're they're tanking the season, which has never been their intent. So I, I'd be very careful if a team came across uh, this Panther team right now because there's not really – you don't know what you're going to get uh, in terms of what they're going to try to do. So it, it should be interesting on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. And I think the chance that a team, you know, overlooks the Panthers is a lot lower after watching what they did last week. You know, if they had had another flat performance like they did against the Rams uh, – against the Bucks, then, you know, I think it's easier for teams to sort of write the Panthers off. But you get a win like that against a division rival, a team that was thought to be a contender, it seems like that's not the case anymore this year. Um, now it's like, oh, well, this team is is dangerous. Like, they're – and that's, that's sort of how I felt about the Falcons last year and even to some extent this year. It's like nobody's expecting you to do anything, so you're playing with house money. You know, you're just going out there – you know, these, you got a lot of young players, especially, you know, Atlanta's like that. Got a lot of guys on one-year deals, a lot of young players, uh, a lot of veterans, you know, coming off disappointing rookie contracts. It's like, okay, show us that you're going to be a part of this team for the future. Earn a new contract here. Uh, and that sort of makes it, it, I think it helps the team play loser. Like you said, it, it, nobody's, you know, expecting great things from you. So the only, you're, you're sort of, liable to yourself uh it's like betting everyone's betting on themselves when they decide to sign with a team like Atlanta or Carolina um knowing that you know playoffs probably not a f- like they're not favored to make the playoffs so you're not here competing for a Super Bowl you're here to to show that you belong in the NFL and, and deserve a new contract and deserve a longer look from either this team or another team and um you know the Panthers seem like maybe they're in a similar situation to Atlanta uh maybe a year behind schedule because they elected not to move on from a, a coaching staff that was clearly past due last year. Um, but I, I do think that the, especially on defense, like the, the architecture for a good defense is there clearly. Um, 
and it hasn't necessarily been there this year. Some of that certainly has to do with the offense turning the ball over a lot and um, just not really helping them out. You know, football is something that requires both sides to play well, and if one side's awful, the other side can't really look that good, uh, even if they're very talented. But this is a uh, a young squad in Carolina um, that I think has a lot of potential. And um, speaking of the trades, you do trade away Christian McCaffrey um, for what was really good compensation. So I certainly don't blame them for making that trade. There's been buzz about DJ Moore, which seems unlikely. And then there's been buzz about Brian Burns. Is that, are those trades that you would be cautious will happen? Would be interested in making any players that you would like to see Carolina continue to move? Or do you think that they sort of just took the McCaffrey trade because the value was so good? Um, I think they took the McCaffrey trade because of the value. And uh, I think David Tepper is wired more so as an investment banker than he is owner of NFL franchise in terms of he looks at things in terms of gains and losses of value. And they had just extended Christian McCaffrey. Uh, It was the first year of his extension. He's getting like 12 million a year, uh, which is pretty high for running back in today's NFL. Although Christian McCaffrey wasn't exactly a running back. So it was justifiable. Um, I think David Tepper looked at it like, well, I haven't had his services for the past two years for the most part. Uh, How much do I need to pay this position? And if we're going to do something with him, let's do it now while he's healthy. It's funny, you know, people were talking about the Carolina offense. I still, to this day, two weeks ago when they played the Rams, I will still stick to this. I feel like they threw that game away and did it to showcase Christian McCaffrey to raise his trade value. Because if you go back and look at the, uh, the highlights of that game, they did not try to throw the ball downfield, but once the entire game, it was all to the side. Uh, heavy Christian McCaffrey, he was like 80% of the offense that day. And come to find out after the fact that they had already started talking to San Francisco and Los Angeles to maybe trade McCaffrey before that game, and then talks intensified after that game. So to yeah. me, I look at it like, okay, they they decided, okay, to do this completely, if we're really going to do it, let's do it in this game. It's a, it's a away game. We can spotlight McCaffrey, show he's healthy, and then move on from there. And, yeah, they got a nice haul from him. I was a little upset about it in my feelings because I like Christian yeah, of McCaffrey, course. you know. But about the end of the first quarter this past Sunday, I was watching the game, and I realized, you know, honestly, I haven't watched McCaffrey with the Panthers in two years. Like, I've kind of gotten used to him not being there. So right. once I realized, like, well, we've already seen what it looks like without him. Let's just kind of go – take this step by step and see what happens. I began to enjoy the game more instead of worrying about oh, that McCaffrey had been there to do that. It had been different. Uh, and it helps when the running game has their best running game of the year without McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, Bradley Bozeman had a lot to do with that. Ike Kwanu had a lot to do with that. It was the best game the offensive line's played all year. Bozeman's now the starting center because Pat Fline got put on IR uh, with a hip injury. And he was the catalyst. He really was the catalyst. If you've got a center, that knows what they're doing. They're the brain of that offensive line. And Bozeman, they just they just impose their will on Tampa's defensive line. And that hasn't really happened in two years. They're really yeah. known for the run defense. And it was non-existent last Sunday. Um, I know Tampa's going through it. They got a lot of injuries all over the place. 45-year-old quarterback that might not want to be there anymore. but <laughs> <laughs> just can't tell anybody because of how right. he came back. Um, so it was kind of a perfect storm. So I'm curious to see how we are uh, with a different team other than that Tampa team, because we kind of felt like we could get them at home. But this will be a true test for Coach Wilkes on the road uh, with this unit. But they're willing to run through some walls for Coach Wilkes. So this is a it's a different situation than what it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, you get Tampa 
probably overlooking the Panthers a lot. Uh, I think Tampa probably still thought they were this contender, uh, and they, they've been thinking that every week. They're like, we're going to get out of this funk, whatever. And then they get to play Carolina, and Carolina's not rolling over for them. And, in fact, they're taking it to them. And I think they, they probably caught the Bucks sleeping a little bit. And we'll hope – well, certainly Falcons fans will hope that the uh, Atlanta doesn't take them lightly. I mean, I don't think Atlanta is a team that could take anyone lightly, so hopefully they wouldn't <laughs> I don't do think anybody's division could take anybody. Yeah, else. exactly. Um, if you had to choose one team in this division to win this division today, who would you pick? I mean, it's it. I mean, I would probably go with the Falcons just because I'm a homer, but that's the only thing that you know. It's like I, I think you could pick anybody. So yeah, <laughs> like because it's a toss up, you know, I just go with the Falcons. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, the Bucks kinda, don't. Yeah, it's like 2014, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. When everybody was under 500, yeah. uh, the Panthers won that division already. Yeah, seven, eight, and one. Yep. Yeah, they were three, <laughs> eight, and one at the beginning of December. Like they mm-hmm. went on a four game win. Well, it was a five game win streak to end the year. Uh, finished seven, eight, and one. Won the division won the playoff game against Arizona and people forget in that, that playoff game, the Panthers still hold the record for fewest yards allowed in an NFL playoff game in history was in that playoff game. And more importantly, it set up their 2015 season when they went 15 and one ran to the Super Bowl, cams MVP year, Rivera coach the year, all that stuff. It all happened from off of that year before uh, they kind of found themselves. And I'm kind of waiting to see which team does that in this division. Cause that's going to be the team that separates from the rest of them. And I don't trust the saints. Uh, I, I yeah. don't trust Tampa. I haven't seen Atlanta yet. So it's like, there's a shot here. Like it's wide open. Any of these four teams could end up getting going, but everybody's moving in different directions. Like with their quarterbacks and stuff, the yeah. Saints bench Winston. So like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And and that's a good, you know, segue into talking about the matchups here. And, you know, the Falcons are sort of an, they've completely flipped the script from last year to, for, from what they were, you know, they were, with Matt Ryan, they were throwing the ball and they were completely incapable of running even when they wanted to. Um, this year, they're barely throwing the ball. Uh, lo- I think they're the lowest in the NFL in terms of pass attempts, um, or at least they're 30. Yeah, they're 31st, technically. Uh, they've only yeah. passed the ball 150 times. They're last in the league in passing yardage. Um, well, or close to it, certainly. Uh, but they've been very efficient when they have thrown. Uh, they're 13th in yards per attempt. Uh and they're just running the ball like really well, uh, way better than anyone would have predicted. Because like I said, they were the 31st rush rushing offense last year. Uh, they're fourth in yardage, uh, averaging almost five yards a carry. They didn't run particularly well last week against the Bengals. I know a lot of people are chalking that up to the Bengals defense, you know, is difficult team, uh, to play against, but it's completely changed. So the Falcons are very different looking certainly than they have been in years past. Um, but I think we'll start with the, the Falcons' sort of passing game against Carolina's secondary. Um, I know there's been a lot of moving parts there. Some guys have been hurt. Some guys are coming back. I think it appears that maybe J.C. Horn will be back for this game. Um, I know Carolina has some talent in the secondary, certainly. Uh, but I'm curious how these guys have, have played outside of Horn because we haven't really had much of a chance to see him this year. The Falcons do have some talent with Drake London, with Alameda Zacchaeus, who's really stepped up, and obviously Kyle Pitts, but the volume hasn't been there. How do you feel about the Panthers' secondary's ability to match up with those guys? Uh, honestly, I think the Panthers' secondary room is the strongest position group that they have. Uh, Dante Jackson uh, had limited practice on Wednesday. Actually, they just updated the Thursday injury report okay. here so uh dante jackson was a full participant in practice on thursday so got one side of your cornerback tandem there uh jc horn was limited in practice uh so that probably questionable on sunday uh that's your starting 
cornerback group there. And then Xavier Woods, uh, safety that we picked up in the offseason has played really well. He's healthy. Jeremy Chin, of course, is on IR. He'll be off in a couple of weeks. Uh, he's one of our young stars yeah, yeah. back there, too. So uh, I feel pretty good with the uh, with the secondary, to be honest. They've actually been the bright spot from the past couple of years. They were one of the top pass defenses in the league last year when Phil Snow was still the defensive coordinator. Um, so I feel pretty good, uh, especially considering uh, the Falcons don't throw it very often. Um, it feels like you guys are run first, run second, run third type of team. So if they do decide to go to the air, I feel pretty confident that the Panthers can uh, win uh, those particular matchups with the, uh, the the wide receivers that you guys have. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that makes sense. The Falcons not really going to test good secondaries very much. Um, they're going to try to hit play action and hit deep shots and and go to some stuff off of the run game. Um, and that brings me to the next topic, which is the Falcons' rushing attack versus the Panthers' run defense. Statistically. Uh, right around average in terms of, uh, overall, but I, I think in terms of, uh, the yardage, uh, Panthers like 21st in rushing yardage allowed, but they've been better on a per carry basis. Um, how do you feel about that matchup? The Falcons coming in as the fourth ranked rushing attack and they're going to, they'll try to get to 40 attempts if they can. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I think that the Panthers rushing attack is what Steve Wilkes envisions the Panthers rushing attack to ultimately become, um, I'm looking at the rushing yards per game. It's a bit skewed because Carolina wouldn't run the ball very well at the beginning of the year. So they're averaging 102 yards uh, per game. And like you said, Atlanta is fourth in the league at 156. I think the team that gets to 150 rushing yards first wins this football game. I don't think both teams can do that. Uh, but I don't, and I think, I know both teams can do it. I just don't think they both will do it in the same game together. Whoever gets there first is probably going to win this matchup because I think it kind of sets up where these are almost mirror images of each other in terms of statistically where they are and what they're trying to do. Um, can't go wrong with trying to, you know, base your entire system around a run game and stopping the run. Uh, that's, that's never going to go out of style, regardless of what level of football you play. If you can do those two things, you're going to win more often than you lose. So um, I would probably lean towards Atlanta in that situation, just because they've been doing it all year and the Panthers are still kind of figuring out identity wise what they want to be. So it could be a good time to catch them there. Although I will say they have begun to uh, play a bit more, play with a bit more juice on defense than they were before because Steve Wilkes and Al Holcomb have taken over the defense. Um, it I can't confirm it, but it had been rumored that uh, Phil Snow and Steve Wilkes kind of clashed in terms of defensive philosophies. Phil Snow wanted the smaller, quicker linebackers that he could interchange in and out and put in different positions. Steve Wilkes was like, yo, that's cool, but in the fourth quarter, those small, quick linebackers get tired and we start missing tackles, and that's how we lose football games. Maybe Tepper felt like that Wilkes was right because, uh, you know, Wilkes is here and Snow is not. So, you know, we started seeing a little bit of a difference with personnel last week. I would expect that to continue, too, to uh, emphasize Wilkes' point of being able to play all four quarters as opposed to the first three. But in that situation, I would give it to Atlanta's run game. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, all right. That, yeah. I mean, I, I think the Falcons are going to try to pound the rock, and so it's sort of up to the the Panthers to be able to stop them. When the Falcons have run the ball really well, they've been pretty unstoppable on offense. And when they haven't run the ball well, they've lost. So um, that's going to be a crucial matchup for Carolina. Um, I know a lot of linebackers injured uh, and, and limited, but nobody being held out at this point. So I, it doesn't seem like you know, Frankie Louvu or any of these other guys are, are going to potentially, you know, Littleton was, I think, limited on, on Wednesday. So 
I don't think there's a lot of concern about those guys missing the game, but maybe a little bit banged up heading into this one. Yeah, everybody's dinged up a little bit, but um, I would expect them all to play. Uh, Derek Brown, Tommy Trimble, J.C. Horn, they all grew up in Georgia, so I would imagine that they're going to definitely try to make sure that they're on the field uh, for this game. Um, but, yeah, so uh, the Atlanta Russian team – or the Atlanta Russian attack is what worries me the most about everything uh, – the last team we really played this year that had a heavy emphasis on running the ball was the Browns week one. And uh, we didn't really gang tackle the way we needed to. We've done better since that week. Uh, it's kind of hard to kind of compare Carolina stats to where they are now because that team was a different team than what yeah. they are now. It's like they literally have hit a reset button. They're one and up. Like they don't care about, uh, you know, the first five games or whatever. They feel like if they can – win the majority of these next 10, 11 games that they have on the plate, they can win the division and, and do something special this year. So they're not even looking at stat-wise what they did before. And that could be a bit misleading for others to look at it and go, oh, well, the Panthers don't do this. They don't do that. They're not even doing the same stuff as they were doing three weeks ago in terms of scheme. So I don't really know how to compare how well they are compared to what they were doing in September, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. And it's, you know, it, it's a diff it's a different team in terms of what they're going to play like not necessarily the different personnel so it's really going to be testing how how can a coaching change impact that and you know historically uh this is very common for teams that fire a coach right they do get a little bit of a bump afterwards it's a it's sustaining it that seems to be the challenge so i am curious certainly to see if if this positivity holds out uh obviously i hope it does just not in the weeks that you guys play the Falcons. So. <laughs> and we got you guys two, three weeks three yeah yeah so you. you know I'll after that you. after that good luck to you but you know <laughs> I, I, I will say the espn plus article plus the video that the panthers put out uh post game of last week it tells a huge story so like for people on the outside looking in uh that all they see is that matt rule got fired from that article there was a there was a cloud over the franchise because of the previous two years and it got to the point where that 49er game two weeks ago was the culmination of it where the majority of the fans in bank of america stadium were wearing maroon and gold and you could see it on tv it was red like all in there and that that visual was probably the final straw but in that article it talks about the practice the next day where they were lining up for routine seven on sevens and coach rule and his coaching staff, they're just kind of standing there watching it. And there was no life to the practice, missed balls, balls going short, balls going too far, uh, just missed assignments. It just was a sloppy, uninspired practice. And the coaches said nothing during the practice. They just stood there on the sidelines, kind of watched the whole thing. And a little bit later when they were meeting rule comes in from a side door starts talking to him and then drops on him that, you know, he's been let go. He wishes he could be here to see them grow, all this other stuff. But from that moment on, when they named Wilkes interim head coach, it's like a weight was lifted from all these players, like a dark cloud. So now they're playing with this like looseness that they probably haven't played with since high school, where it's like, no one expects anything from us. We know we have the talent in this room to do some stuff. They don't even know what we're going to run. They don't know who's going out. They don't know. No one knows. There's no tape <laughs> on what they're going to do really. So it's going to be kind of a surprise. It'll be a surprise to us. And we cover the team every week. Like, we don't know exactly what they're going to do, but we trust Steve Wilkes. And I feel like the video uh, where David Tepper comes in the locker room and gives the game ball to Coach Wilkes after he had just given a game ball to P.J. Walker, 
and you hear the emotion from the team when he gets that game ball for Wilkes. And Wilkes is like he's near tears at that point. This is one game. <laughs> this has been one game, one Sunday against a 45-year-old quarterback at home. And uh, the emotion in that room kind of – it was almost like a release, like a release of just like the past couple of years uh, with Carolina and the results they were getting to be able to go out there and do that against that team that's tormented them for the past couple of years in the division with Tom Brady – I feel like that's that's going to be the thing that gets them going. You were asking if they could get it going the next week. I don't think this was a thing where it was just like a one-week thing and then they're right. done. I think this was more of a building. Like, it'll get bigger. Like, the more they win, the more they'll start believing in Coach Wilkes and what he's doing. Plus, he's a Panther. He's a, he's He's been here before. Like, he yes. understands what it means to be a Carolina Panther. Matt Rule never understood that and almost shot away from it to a certain degree. And I think that hurt him in the end. Wilkes being a Panther and knowing Panthers culture and what it's about and what it means to be a Panther, that's going to carry him a long way with these young players and the guys like Shaq Thompson that have been here before with Ron Rivera and others. And they know what Panther culture is too. They were here for the good times. They, they know it. So I think that they've, they've hit a nerve. They've hit something and maybe not on purpose, but they've hit something that again, I feel like they're a dangerous team right now because nobody knows what they're going to do. Would not surprise me at all if they won by 20 or won by three. I have no idea. So we'll see when they roll the ball out on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Anything could happen there. Um, Panthers offense so far has been the part of the team that's really struggled. Uh, so far, 26th in points and last in the league in total yardage. Um, that could change, obviously, with a, with a change of quarterback and a change in offensive philosophy. Uh but the, the Panthers' weapons, they did trade away Christian McCaffrey, obviously one of their biggest weapons in the receiving game, not just the run game. Uh, and Robbie Anderson, who hadn't been utilized super well, but was still like a top three receiver on this team. Now the Panthers rolling, of course, with DJ Moore, who Falcons fans know very well. Uh, Terrace Marshall, who's had to take on a bigger role along with Shai Smith. And then, of course, Tommy Tremble, uh, who's been a, a key cog in the passing game as well. Uh, what do you think about this Panthers passing attack going up against now a very injured Falcons secondary? AJ Terrell almost certainly not going to play. Casey Hayward already on IR, and safety Jalen Hawkins has already been declared out with his concussion from last week. Uh, so the Falcons are banged up back there. What do you think about this Panthers passing attack? Maybe getting a little bit uh, going here. Um, I don't well. PJ Walker's not going to throw for 400 yards. Like that, he's not going to go out there and have a, you know, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes type of game or whatever, Joe Burrow. That's not the kind of quarterback he is. And that's not the kind of offense they're running. But I do expect them to take some shots down the field uh, with the secondary being injured the way that they are. It'd be kind of foolhardy to not do it. They're still going to run first. Like the beauty of having a defensive minded head coach is that he's going to try to help his defense out as much as possible. And the best way to do that is to keep them off the field. So the longer they can run drives and end with scores, uh, surprisingly, the Panthers are like third or fourth in the league in red zone rate right now. Um, granted, we don't get there very often. <laughs> but <if laughs> when get, you do, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we get there, we're getting in there some way. We're going to get some kind of points. But um, I do think that uh, overall, the, this is this is one of those games, like I said earlier, this is one of those games where the Panthers can kind of plant their flag and be like, okay, this is what we're going to be like for the rest of the year. Like, this is this is the tone. This is the intent. This is what we are. This is what we're going to do. I don't expect them to revert back or change things too much from what we saw last week. You keep going with what works till somebody stops it. And 
I don't know if Atlanta's equipped to completely stop it with the injuries they have on defense right now. So I'd like to see a little sprinkling of RPO or play action pass so they can exploit that secondary, you know, suck all these guys in with the run game and, you know, boom, throw over top of them. And I think that's kind of going to be the game plan. Doesn't have to be uh, tricky or uh, a lot of motion or all that stuff. Sometimes the best football is just simple line up and hit the guy in front of you and like, and win, win that, win that assignment and then do it again and do it again and do it again. And I think that's what Steve Wilkes is kind of preaching to these guys. You know, we've been close so many times before. Now, won't we just make sure we're over each time, like each time. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm very interested to see this team come out this Sunday and see if they can keep rolling the way they did uh, last week. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you talk about the, the Panthers, rushing game uh it hasn't been terribly productive they've also barely run it right they're 30th in attempts on the ground right now that goes with what i was saying though exactly it could be very different yeah um they are 23 23rd in yards so they're better on a per carry basis than the number of attempts would suggest but uh chuba hubbard has missed two practices now seems like his availability is in serious doubt that would leave deontay foreman as the starter uh, and I think uh, Raheem Blackshear is the the third running back. Yeah. Um, and I, he hasn't got a lot of carries, but I I've, I know Panthers fans have been sort of excited to see him. I think he's uh, one of your returners too. So mm-hmm. they do have another running back in there that is at least interesting. Um, and I think the, the the strongest part of the Panthers' offense has been the offensive line and their run blocking ability. Those guys have done a great job, even though the pass pro hasn't always been great. The uh, the run blocking has been kind of reminds me of the Falcons' offensive line this year, <laughs> honestly. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about that run game going up against the Falcons' run defense, which uh, is actually pretty good, uh, fifth and and yardage allowed. Um, they haven't faced a ton of attempts. They are closer to like a little bit above average in terms of yards per carry allowed. But how do you feel about that matchup? Um, because like you said, it could be a very different Carolina offense, more run focused going forward. I think that the offensive line now that Bozeman's taken over at center has the potential to be a top 10 unit in the league for real. Like I really do. If you look down the the, the line itself, you've got Iki Aquanu, uh, a top rated rookie who has been on pro football folks's list like the past four or five weeks with just stellar play stepping in at left tackle you got Brady Christensen beside him at left guard, who was the highest-rated left tackle coming out of the draft last year uh, from out of Brigham Young. You put Bozeman in at center, who played at Baltimore, so you know he understands the run game. Uh, at right guard, you've got Austin Corbett, uh, who came from the Rams. And then you've got Taylor Moten on the right tackle side, and he was our all-pro. So it's like you get them going together as a unit, and you get what happened last week. Uh, you know, Carolina rushed 27 times last week. Whereas there was a couple of times earlier on uh, where they might have rushed only like eight times or something like that the entire game. I've never understood football teams that do that, where they yeah. just completely forget that they have a run game. The very first week, matter of fact, it was almost like they forgot Christian McCaffrey was on the team. Like he just wasn't getting the ball. Like Baker wasn't throwing it to him. They weren't handing the ball to him. He's healthy. He's right there. And he had him in bubble wrap all preseason so he wouldn't get injured just to not use him week one pretty much. So that stat's a little skewed in terms of how much Carolina wants to run. I would think it's going to be more along the lines of what we saw last week against Tampa, where they probably want to get near 30, 35, 40, if they can, uh, rushes per game. Because if they're at that point, that means they are controlling the line of scrimmage and they are actually moving chains by running the ball, which is keeping the defense fresh. So 
Uh, I'm going to give it to the Carolina offensive line uh, in this one because I feel like that's one of the, besides the secondary, they've probably become the strongest unit on the team and they're going to dictate the way the team plays. Like they're going to be the ones that set the tone for the offense and the defense. And I think they know that. So they take pride in that. So um, I'll go with the Carolina Panthers offensive line in that matchup. Yeah. uh, And it's interesting because I I agree that the Falcons run defense never looked all that dangerous but whenever they've sort of gotten teams to try to run against them they've had a lot more success than when teams have tried to pass the ball a lot against them so uh you know statistically it 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 checks out because they're you know the Falcons are very very bad at defending the pass uh but um they've been very good at beating teams at their own game uh teams that like San Francisco and Cleveland and you know we thought Seattle was like that of course with uh their run game, they're they're a little bit more pass heavy than expected, certainly. But um, Chino, man, Chino's yep. been great. Yeah, he's crushing it. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see how it how it shakes out if it gets into a, a a trench battle with two teams trying to run it. So far, the Falcons have basically beaten all the teams that have tried to do it better than them, uh, head head to head. But uh, this is a new look Panthers team. I know there's a lot of excitement around them, so um, definitely more. I'm, I'm glad this game is like becoming a little bit more interesting because. With rule at the helm, it would probably be like almost like it would just be depressing, and you know you'd have to come on here and be like, "Well, I'm just waiting for rule to get fired," sort of yeah. like Falcons fans were in 2020. And it's like, no, no excitement, no fun. Um, it's much better, I think, to have a matchup like this where you've got a team that is more interesting and, and more exciting. Certainly, more fun to cover uh, <laughs> when it's like that. Oh my um, gosh! Plus, the way the division is, like, it's literally we're, we're in week eight. And it's yeah. anybody's ball game. Like, you yeah. know, it, there's no no one can sit here and tell me they know without a shadow of a doubt that such and such team is going to win this division. Because it's just so wide open. There's so many games left to play. Uh, but it's just wild to me that through all this, the first couple of weeks of the year, if Carolina can win on Sunday mm-hmm. and Tampa loses on third, well, you know, Thursday night. Yeah. Then it, the, the Panthers are number one. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> number one in the division after yep. starting one and five. Like, because yep. they've ch- they've won all their games against division opponents. Yeah, they'll be three and zero in the division. Yeah, it's just wow. It's just insane yeah. to me. So, uh, you know, the whole mantra of keep pounding. That I mean, that's for real. Like this year, like that they got to live by that. They got to keep pushing through it. And um, shout out to the fans who have stuck with them and haven't abandoned them uh, over the past couple of weeks. Because now those te- those fans are going to try to rush to get back on the bus. Um. I do feel like they have hit a reset in Charlotte and that we'll see a completely different team. The stats are going to even out before, while the year's over with, but the next couple of weeks, the stats aren't going to tell the true story. And hopefully that'll allow the Panthers to sneak up on some teams and be like, gotcha. You thought we were going to do this because of the stats. That's not what we're even doing anymore. So like, uh, we'll see, we'll see what they can do. Yeah. We will see indeed. Uh, thank you so much Desmond for coming on today. Uh, good preview. Everyone should have plenty to chew on heading into Sunday's matchup. Uh, this would be just, this would be, I think this would be both teams third division game so far. Um, so like you said, with, with Carolina winning two division games, that's the only games they've won. But if this division's bad, that might be the only ones they need to win. Yeah. You sweep the division and you're all good. So yeah, we're good to go. Uh, I'll take we'll it. <laughs> yeah, guys, he's Desmond Johnson, host of the believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. He's on Twitter at Des underscore three, five Oh five. Anything else you'd like to plug Desmond? Uh, no, uh, that, I'm, uh, that's enough. That's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's gotcha. You guys find us, find us on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. We're on twice a week. It's myself, Jonathan Stewart, the all-time Panthers leading rusher, and Skylar Callahan, the uh, beat writer for the Carolina Panthers for Sports Illustrated. So we can get you 
in the building, out the building, player perspective, whatever you need. We're interactive. Uh, we do the shows live so uh, fans can ask questions. We did open mailbag earlier today. Matter of fact, that went really well. So uh, we have a good time. So definitely uh, stop by, check us out. Uh, maybe we bring Kev on in two weeks because we're going to see you guys again. Yeah, you know, in the next couple of weeks anyway. So maybe <laughs> we set up something uh, then. So we'll, we'll absolutely. See. Yeah, guys. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. You can find me there at Falcoholic Kevin on the Twitters. Uh, check out the Falcoholic.com for all that tremendous written content. Uh, if you're listening to the audio of this, please give us that five star review. We appreciate that. And if you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe, all that good stuff. You can also check us out on Patreon if you want to support the show. It's patreon.com slash Falcoholic Live. Get early access to all the podcast episodes ad-free as well, along with some other special perks. Uh, but until next time, guys, we'll see you after this game on Sunday for our post-game show on the Falcoholic Live. Until then, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time. Have a great day, folks.